0: Um, ever seen that book, or if you don't have it, go buy it and read it. It is a wonderful book, still very, very relative for, for us. But this is a quote that I want to read from this book, Knowing God. He says, knowing God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London Put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him as one who knew nothing of England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business. For those who do not know about God, disregard the pursuit of God and sentence yourself to stumble through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Well, let's read the passage from Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And it really is exactly what J.R. Packer is talking about us pursuing God, knowing God in a very real and profound way. So Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, "'Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful.'" And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray before we go into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together this morning, this New Year's Day, Lord, that we can celebrate new beginnings We can celebrate fresh starts. We thank you, Lord, this morning that we can celebrate you. We thank you for the wonderful reminder of the gospel here um, enclosed in these first few verses. Lord, how you have reconciled us to yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. And how we now have confidence, Lord, to approach you. We thank you for that privilege, Lord. And we pray that we will never take that privilege for granted Especially this year, Lord, we ask that you would help us to draw near or that we would pursue you, that our lives would make sense, Lord, that we wouldn't stumble through this life blindfolded, Father. We know you've given us a purpose, Lord, and that is to glorify you and to enjoy you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that this year. Father, that we wouldn't waste the opportunities you've given us, that we won't waste our our lives, Lord, in pursuing things and doing things that don't matter to you. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us. I pray that your spirit, Lord, now would open our hearts and our eyes to the teaching of your word, Father, that we would be humble enough to, to repent, that you would grant us this repentance, that we would humble ourselves to hear what you have to say to us this morning so please teach us this morning we ask for the sake of your great name in jesus name we pray amen so the book of hebrews just to give you some context is really all about the absolute superiority and sovereignty and supremacy of jesus christ we don't know who the author is But the writer shows us clearly by comparing Scripture with Scripture that that Christ is far superior than anybody or anything in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He clearly shows us how, how glorious and how wonderful the gospel is. And we're reminded of our fleshly, carnal desires that often forget about the cross and Often we turn to these idols, but we are confronted here in the book of Hebrews with, with God's wonderful grace. And we pointed to the cross, and we pointed to the blood of Christ that has made a way for us to be reconciled, has made a way for us to be cleansed of our sins so that we may have fellowship with the, the sovereign God of this universe. And in our verses this morning that we're going to look at, we are asked to respond. We are asked to respond, beginning in verse 19. And you'll notice that verse 19 begins with, having therefore. And therefore are always there for a good reason. These words, therefore. They always point us backwards. On the basis of what we've of of what's been said in Hebrews chapter 10, from 10 chapters and 18 verses, we must now respond. And that's what he's calling us to. And he's telling us, if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've been saved by the grace of God, we need to respond. If you've been saved from your sins, if you have turned from your idols to serve the living and, and true God, if you've been taken out of darkness into his marvelous life, If you were once a slave of of sin, but now are a slave of righteousness, we need to respond. Because we know the scriptures tell us that faith without works is is dead. John Piper, he once said that God has sent his son to suffer and to die so that through him we might draw near. Commenting on these verses. And he says, "It's also that we might draw near, and all of this is for our joy and for His glory." And the title of my sermon this morning is simply, "Let us draw near in 2019." You know, the heart of the entire New Testament gospel is here in our, in our passage this morning, that Christ came into the world to make a way for us, to draw near to God, to make a way. For us to, to know God without being consumed by our sin because He is a holy God. So He has made a way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. So thank the Lord that we have been reconciled. Those of us who are saved, those of us who are children of God, we've been reconciled and we have a way to, to draw near. But all of this is wasted. All of this is wasted if we are not preaching the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. And Paul says in, in Romans Romans 6 shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we take the, the grace of God for granted? Of course, the answer is no, absolutely not. But sadly, we tend to do that. We tend to do that if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. And if you are here this morning with, with unconfessed sin in your life and rebellion in your heart, then you're just play acting. And Jesus has a word for that. He calls those types of people hypocrites. And that's not what we want to be. In verse 22 says that we are to approach God with a pure heart and a, and a clean conscience. And the word conscience literally means with knowledge. So don't be fooled this morning folks. God is the God of of everything. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. You know we can fool others but we can't fool God. God is the one with full knowledge. So first and foremost, fellowship with God demands purity. We cannot fool God by trying to have a relationship with Him where we have sin in our hearts. We need to first and foremost draw near to God by making sure that we have a pure heart. So don't settle for a Christian life that is, that is nominal, or that is at a distance from God. And I pray that this year would be totally different from perhaps the approach you took last year, and perhaps the, the type of religion that you had last year. A nominal Christian life is, in many ways, a waste of a life. And the Lord is calling us to repent of this sin So that God is not just a distant thought. He's not just something that we do to keep our our spouses happy. But rather that he is a a present and and a real reality. Look what he says in verse 23. My first point this morning is is there in, in verse 23. My first point is simply hold fast. And the scriptures say, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful so hold fast is the is the is the key here we must we must be steadfast in our confession and the word hold fast carries the meaning of of holding firm or or tight holding something tightly down and the thought contained in unwavering is to avoid leaning or or sloping and what he's saying is stay balanced. Stay balanced. And the idea is that we are not to, to alter or even question our confession just because life gets tough. Or just because things don't go our way. And even though we may not feel the truth of, of our confession, we are to maintain it as the anchor of our soul. As he says in in, verse, in chapter 6, we have this hope, folks. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, the scriptures tell us. We are to be unswerving and unbending no matter what life throws at us. Wavering and bending is a fear, is it not? Remember in the Old Testament... The people are powerful and the cities and towns are, are fortified and, and very large. We can't, we can't do this. Well, holding fast means that they marched on and that they claimed the land that God had promised. No wavering and bending fears what tomorrow holds. Now, holding fast lives each day to the fullest, trusting in His promises, knowing the Lord gives all that we need from day to day. Wavering and bending fears, reprisal and criticism, but holding fast, shouts out, lift up your banners, let the anthems ring praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God, great and mighty is He. We need to be steadfast, unswerving, unbending, no matter what life throws at us this year. And I don't know what this year holds for each of us. I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to know any of these things. I don't know what trials that the Lord has for us. I don't know what blessings the Lord may have in store for you. But we can rest in the promise that God does, that He is sovereign and he allows these things for a purpose and for a reason. We need to remember that the stars will always come out at night. And it is the sun that still lights the day, even when we cannot see it. And the moon, the night, and the spring will still follow winter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 says, God will surely do this for you, for he always does just what he says. So we have a hope that is sure. And what the scriptures are telling us this morning is we need to hold on to this hope. We need to hold on to this hope. And what is hope? Well, hope is simply the trust that, that God will keep His promise and do what He said in the end. And that's what it is. We need to hold fast to this guarantee. It's not just a hope and hope, folks. This is a guaranteed fulfillment. This is something that we could put our faith in. He is his, the covenant keeper. And if you believe in his promises, then and only then can we call ourselves true believers. Now, I remember a story I read of, of two brothers who, despite their large inheritance from their father, lived a life of total seclusion. And it seems that the brothers were collectors, they were, they were hoarders, and they collected everything, especially junk. And their house was crammed full of, of broken machinery, auto parts, boxes, appliances, folding up chairs, musical instruments, rags, and, and everything else. And of course, their windows were, were boarded up and their, their doors were, were padlocked. And one day the police received an anonymous telephone call that a man had died inside this, this boarded up house. And the police were unable to force their way through the front door. So the police entered the house through the second-story window. And after looking for a while under all the rubbish, the police eventually found two corpses. And they were six feet away from each other. And they had been crushed to death by a a booby trap that they had built to protect their their precious collections from, from intruders. And these two brothers, you know, make a sad but a a fitting parable of the way many people in the church live. You know, although their inheritance was sufficient for all of their needs, they lived their lives in an unnecessary self-imposed deprivation, neglecting abundant resources that were rightfully theirs to enjoy. So what are you doing with the promises of God? God. What are you doing with this resource that that God has given to every single one of us are you ignoring them and allowing them to to gather dust or are you truly standing or are you truly living on the promises of God are you relying on his promises in hope in hope that they will come to fruition now is God going to keep his promises of course you will look at look at chapter 10 there. What does it say in verse 23? It simply says this, for he is faithful that promised. He is faithful. And we need to be reminded of that, folks. We serve a faithful God. God keeps his word. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24, faithful is he who calls you who will also do it he will do it my second point is in verse 24 consider one another consider one another look at verse 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works the king james version says let us consider one another to provoke to provoke unto love and to good works. And what the writer is saying here is keep fellowshipping together. You need each other. You need to love each other. You need to kind of irritate each other. And that's what the word provoke means. It literally means to irritate. Of course it's a it's a negative word with a positive objective, okay? And irritate each other to good works. That's the objective. The Greek word is paroxymus, paroxymus, stimulate, stimulate each other, stimulate good works, stimulate love. It's like a, a shocking or a, a stimulating the heart to, to, get it, to get it beaten again, a jolt, a jolt of sufficient life-giving power. We are to stimulate each other. That's what, that's what the word is saying here. There's a wonderful illustration I may have shared with you before of the oyster, a piece of you know how, how pearl is, is created? A piece of sand, a small little grain of sand, will enter into, into that oyster. And that's a foreign object, and the oyster will do everything it can to, to push out this this piece of sand. And it will secrete mucus and, and liquid and it will do everything it can to, to push it out. And of course that that liquid starts to cover this little piece of sand. And the more it tries to push it out, the more it gets irritated, the more it p- tries to get pushed out. And the more it gets irritated, the more this little piece of sand gets coated with this, with this liquid until a, until a pearl is created. And that pearl would not be created unless that irritation was there. That's a wonderful picture here of the church. God's plan for our good is that we encourage each other, that we provoke each other to good works. That we speak the word of God into each other's lives that we pray for each other, that we disciple each other. We cannot receive encouragement from the world around us. I mean, it'd be a worldly type of encouragement. But in the church of God, we speak truth into each other's lives when the world around us is falling apart. That is why we need each other. We need each other to to receive love from one another, to give love to each other, We receive accountability from one another. We hold each other accountable to the Word of God. We help each other. We come alongside each other. Our faith cannot be maintained without these blessings. We are not an island. We don't do this on our own. We need to stir up one another to love and good works. Look at the second part of that verse. It tells us God's purpose is for us to love and to do good works. And we encourage each other and that's that's all good and well and that's all part of being in this corporate body. But it's not just to encourage us so that we feel happy and that we go about our daily lives feeling joyful. It's so that we would do something with that. We stir each other up to love and good works and Jesus had something to say about good works in in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 he says let your light shine before others so that they the world around us may see your good works and give glory to the father who is in heaven so there's a purpose for us to be doing these these good works there's a reason so that the world will look and observe and take note of the God who we love. This week, Roy was in hospital, and I went to visit him, and I was so blessed to see another family from the church already there, already ministering to him. But while we were there um, with him, there were two other uh, patients that were in the same, same room. One of them was a, was a Muslim man, and while we were there, a group of three or four Muslim men came to, came to pray with, with their patient, one of the patient, one of the Muslim patients. And Roy said to us, you know, these people have been coming every single night to, to pray with this, with this man. Every night they come and pray with each other. And I was rebuked. I was rebuked. I mean, does the world look at Christians in the same way that we were looking at that, that 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 Muslim group? I mean, do they see the love of Christ in us? Do they see the good works that we perform for God's glory? I mean, can you imagine what the church would be like if the only competition was to see who could exercise more love? I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful place? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? If the only time church members felt overwhelmed was when other members were lining up to share love. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the only time we ever had any problems was to see who would serve each other first? Remember, the early church did have that reputation. The early church did have that reputation. The non christians said about the church in Antioch, Look how they love one another. Look how they behave. They are acting just like Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what we need to be doing. That's how we we need to be pursuing Christ. And our love will will give this life, giving jolt to other people. R.C. Sproul, he wrote this about the church of Jesus Christ. He said, In all of life's situations, we are to be His witness. Our job is to make the invisible reign of Jesus visible. And the world is shrouded in darkness. Nothing is visible in the dark. No wonder then that we are called to be the light of the world. Every single one of us has a mission. We have all been sent to bear witness to Christ. When we encourage each other, it's not just for our own benefit, folks. We're not here just to be beneficiaries. We're not here just to to partake in, in these blessings that God has given to us. We are to encourage each other so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Remember, that's what the Lord said to Abraham right in the beginning. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And that is our responsibility as a church, folks. We are to be his witness. Our job is to make the invisible reign of Jesus visible in this world. And we do that through love and good works. Through love and good works. I wonder when people see you, do they see Jesus? Do people know that you are a Christian by your love, by your actions? They should. Encourage one another. Look at verse 25, my third point this morning. Encourage one another. We are equipped to do this encouraging and stirring up to love and good works, mainly together in the church. Verse 25 tells us, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, there's a difference between private and public worship. And we get to worship all the time, and we should worship all the, si- all the time. We were created to worship God. But private worship, we do on our own when, we, when we're driving in the car, when, we, when we're eating food, when we're walking on the sidewalk. We, we worship God privately. But there's something special when it comes to, to public worship. There's something unique about congregational worship. Public worship fuels, it fuels our radiance for God. Church is is like in some ways a a petrol station, a gas station. On Fridays after service, we we leave all fired up, encouraged and challenged and, and excited to live for God. Because we've worshipped together. We've encouraged each other. We've been under the life-giving word. And then Monday comes along, and our spiritual gas tank is, is not as full as it was on, on Friday. And then Wednesday comes along, and, and we're, we're on empty. We're running on empty. And when we're not in this collective corporate worship with God's people for, for two weeks or, or one month, We feel flat, we feel nominal, we feel wasted. And having missed it, we we lose this radiance for God that we are supposed to have. And that's what we receive by coming together, worshiping together, being this light in this dark place. It doesn't happen on its own, folks. We need each other. You know, it's a privilege and a blessing to be part of this church. By His grace, God has called us out from darkness. He has separated us so we can be the light. We can be His light. We can be a witness for Him. The Spirit of God has been given to us to move in us and through us in a new and in a living, in a living way, as, as we read in verse 20 there. Remember, folks, God loves His church. He loves his church so much that he sent his son to die for her. He shed his blood for her. God didn't send his son for the government. He didn't shed his blood for even the family. He shed his blood for the church. No other organization. And Jesus calls the church the bride of Christ. Christ. Jesus doesn't say that the church is the sister of Christ or the, or the friend of Christ or even the mother of Christ or the girlfriend of Christ or the child of Christ or even the best friend of Christ. He calls the church the bride of Christ. And what comes to your mind when, when you think of a bride? Well, it should be a, a very special, a very precious picture, isn't it? This is a wonderful picture the Lord's given us to convey this idea of of commitment and love and intimacy. Do you think that, that, that it's an accident that Jesus refers to his church as his bride? It tells us something very specific, that the church is the most precious thing to his heart. He loves his church. And if the church is so precious to Jesus, Why then is it an afterthought to so many professing Christians? Why is it so hard to make home group a priority? Why is it so hard to come to to Friday school at 9.30 in the morning when we can so easily be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning? Why is it so easy to make excuses not to come to the the potluck fellowships or the ladies' meetings or the men's fellowships. Now, Why do we have more attenders at New Life Church than we do members? Now I realize that in one sense I'm, I'm speaking to the choir. You're here. I need to be speaking to the people that aren't here. But yet, it's the choir that needs to hear this. Look at the rest of our passage. Look at verse 25. He's speaking to the choir. He says, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So I believe the idea of encouragement has has some particular application to our worship. You know, we are to anchor each other to the worship of our true and living God. So the question is then, have you done this? Have you been encouraging others to be here this morning? I mean, there are people that are not here that should be here. Have you taken the time to phone them? People in your home groups that you know that are struggling? I mean, have you taken the time to, to ask them if they're okay? I mean, are we doing this corporately? I mean, when last did you invite somebody to church? When last did you invite somebody to, to hear the life-giving word Let us not give up meeting together. That's what the writer is telling us, folks. It's important, as is the habit of some. Some people don't want to be a church. Some people come when it suits them. But the scriptures are saying, no, let's not do that. Let's encourage each other. Let's make sure that this is a priority, that we help each other and understand that it is a priority. It's what we need, folks. And it's how Christ has designed it. According to Hebrews, the responsibility of getting people to worship, of inviting people to worship, of encouraging people to worship, does not lie solely just with the leaders, not just the paid staff, not just the pastor. Every single one of us have this responsibility studies show that over 80% of people who join a church come the first time because somebody invited them. Now, your testimony as to the power and the importance of worship, your word of encouragement as to how worship impacts you is the most valuable tool we have in encouraging others to worship to helping them see the the greatness and the beauty of Christ, your testimony. But I think there's a broader application here as well. The Scriptures tell us, let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching. Because life will continue to get tougher and tougher as earthly history speeds along to its final day. Encouragement is necessary. It, it's more and more important that we do this. And Paul wrote to the Romans in Roman, Romans chapter 14, to the Roman church. He says in verse 19, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. We need each other, folks. We need each other's help. We need each, each other's love. We need each other's encouragement. So that we are conformed to God's image of His Son. We need help. We have these blinders that we cannot see. And we need others to come alongside us. To have these relationships where people can lovingly show us the better way. As God's people, we grow best when we are in community with one another. And God designed it to be that way. And that is why discipleship is possible only within the the community of believers. And that's why we encourage these discipleship relationships. I mean, we have these discipleship groups, and if you're not in one and you haven't been in one last year, join a discipleship group this year. It's important. And come to somebody who, who you respect. And ask them, would you mentor me this year? I challenge you to do that. That's what we're supposed to do mentor each other, disciple each other. That's what God commands us to do. And have you asked somebody to do that? As God's children, we need to obey His commands. And His commands are simple to make disciples of all nations, they're clear. They're clear. But it starts here, folks, in this corporate gathering. We will never disciple the nations if we are not being faithful in discipling each other first. Are we doing this? Our job as the church of Jesus Christ is to make the invisible reign of Jesus visible. Just as R.C. Sproul said, he also says, Where Christ is invisible... People perish. Where his reign is unknown or ignored, people are exploited. They are demeaned. They are enslaved. They are butchered. They are aborted. They are raped. They are casualties of war. They are robbed. They are slandered. They are oppressed. They are cheated in marriage. They are cheated in their wages. They are left to go hungry, naked, and unsheltered. They are consigned to loneliness. They are ridiculed. They are frightened. And that's why the church needs to be the church. That's why we need to be encouraging and provoking each other so we can make the difference in this world, so that we can be the light in this dark world. We need to be encouraging each other to draw near to God so that we would be this radiating light that we have been called to be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Light. That is our purpose, folks. Are we living this purpose? The church is how God makes himself known in this world. The church makes the invisible kingdom of God visible. The world can't see God, but they can see us. And when we join together in the church for the glory of God, they will see God and they will worship the sovereign God. So as we get ready for a new year ahead of us, let us make this one resolution with a pure heart and a clean conscience before God to be more intentional, to be more engaged in each other's lives this year to be helping each other, encouraging each other to draw near to God. Let us together resolve to make much of our Savior and our King, who in spite of our sin has given us free access to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. The one reality that can completely and forever satisfy us is Jesus Christ. We need to be reminding ourselves and each other of this reality, not of the reality that the world wants us to believe. As the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. As we have been reminded this morning, we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you don't need us for anything. Lord, you are not impoverished in any way. You do not need us in order to be happy in the fellowship of the Trinity. Lord, you, you magnify your mercy by giving us free access through your Son in spite of our sin. And we are thankful for that this morning, Lord. Thankful for the gospel that has saved a wretch like me. Lord, I pray that you would help us this year. Lord, not to take this wonderful gospel for granted. Lord, that we would be fulfilling the very purpose for which we have been created to glorify you and to enjoy you. And Lord I know there may be people here amongst us that I have not been enjoying you this year because of unconfessed sin in their lives. Lord because of some bad habits that they are not willing to repent of. And I pray this morning Lord that you would grant them this repentance that they would call upon the name of the Lord and cry out For the forgiveness of their sins. I pray, Lord, this year that we would strive and that we would pursue your wonderful character in our lives, in our church. Father, that we would draw near with one heart, with one mind to honor our Savior. So help us, Lord, we pray this year to be more intentional. Help us, Lord, to be more practical in our love and our good works. Help us, Lord, to display and reflect the radiance of our Savior to the world around us that is dying in our sins. We pray, Lord, as a result of this resolution that we would see people coming to faith in Christ this year, Lord. That we would see more and more people coming to church. That we would see more and more people worshiping you. That we would see more and more people giving the glory to you that you deserve. Because you are worthy, Lord, of all our praise. So, Lord, hear our prayer this morning. Do the work that needs to be done in our hearts and our lives. Do the work that needs to be done in New Life Church. For the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people, we ask this prayer. Amen.